Hello and welcome to Evangelion, interpreting scripture and life. And we had a short excursus in the last podcast to try to contextualize this key section of Galatians 3. And I'd like to unpack the section in Galatians 3 from verses 10 through 13 today. Now, I should point out that the divisions that I'm um, alluding to in the letter are somewhat artificial. It may be more proper, in fact, to take verses 10 to 14 together, but I'd like to treat verse 14 separately and do that in the next podcast. My reasons for doing that I won't bore you with, um, except to say that in verses 10 through 13, there are of course four verses, and in each verse, Paul quotes from the Hebrew Bible. And these are important planks in his overall argument. So let me tell you a couple of things um, also by way of context. Firstly, I've already mentioned that one of the key motifs for understanding the argument of Galatians is that Paul is attempting to demonstrate that justification uh, should be understood dynamically as a movement from life to death, from death to life rather, for the emergence of um, life from death is a key element of Paul's justification theology in Galatians. and. There are segments of the argument all the way through which point towards that and his appeal to the Old Testament is part and parcel of that broader argument. One of the other key ideas which we've already picked up on from the last uh, from the podcast before the last one was the significance of Abraham and this will start to unfold uh, as well uh, and the grand conclusion in verse 14 Um, which corresponds to the conclusion of the entire chapter in 3.29, takes us back to the importance of Abraham and says one or two things about how Abraham is functioning in the argument. So, thus far, in verses 3.2 to 5, Paul has asked the key question, how did the um, Galatian Gentiles received the Spirit, the Spirit who was clearly active amongst them by the miracles that were happening in the congregation. And the question that Paul asks is, well, did the Galatian Gentiles receive the Spirit on the basis of listening to the gospel with faith or by performing the works of the law? And without answering the question directly, he answers it indirectly in 3.6 by introducing Abraham, and he said that Abraham entered into right relationship with God on the basis of faith. And so in some sense, there's your answer. Faith is the key and not works of the law. He then goes on in verses 7 to 9 to say that anybody who wants to relate to God in the same way that Abraham did, anyone who wants to have their, uh, wants to be counted righteous before God must also trust believe, have faith. These are all the same idea in Greek. He now starts to unpack what the essence of that faith is in these um, next few verses, all of which contain Old Testament passages, some of which are introduced by some kind of citation formula, one of which isn't. But here's what the verses say, and then we'll have a look and think through what they mean. So in Galatians 3 in verse 10, Paul writes, for as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. 
For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Now, a Pauline scholar called Norman Young once wrote that every verse from verses 10 to 13, every Old Testament citation um, is riddled with problems. Uh, and I don't think he's far wrong, um, although I don't think it's that difficult to unpack what Paul is driving at. He quotes from Deuteronomy 27 verse 26 in Galatians 3 verse 10. Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now the truth is he doesn't quote the passage precisely. Um, he may be quoting from a version of the Old Testament which we don't have, uh, or he may just be adapting uh, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Of course the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew. Um, it's not exactly clear what he's doing, but it's close enough to the Hebrew. Um, although Paul quotes the Greek, um, it's, it's certainly precise enough. Um, the problematic thing, however, is this. The, the passage reads, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law. And yet Paul's statement at the beginning of Galatians 3.10 is that for as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. And so he seemed to be arguing backwards. Paul's saying that everyone who is of the works of the law is under a curse. And then he quotes a passage that says, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by the things written in the law. Now, the majority position, I think, still on this text is that uh, no one can... Uh, completely do everything that's written in the law and so in some sense everybody is under a curse if they um, attempt to fulfill everything written in the book of the law. The problem with this argument is that even within Hebrew thought, even within Jewish cultural and religious thought itself and even within the pages of the Hebrew Bible there are plenty of um, atonement rituals. There are things which a Jew is supposed to do if indeed they break the law. And so it seems to me that, there's, that there is no demand for perfect obedience. Even when Paul himself describes his law-keeping as faultless in Philippians 3, he's perfectly aware of uh, his own uh, failures as, say for example, the, the, the long section in Romans 7. And so it doesn't appear to me that the problem with the law and the reason why it curses people is that no one can keep it perfectly. Because even for those who don't keep it perfectly, the law has within itself mandates and rituals which the Jews perform to atone for breaking the law. So what does Paul mean? Well, actually, I think the important thing to bear in mind is the beginning of verse 13. 
it says Christ redeemed us from the curse. So whatever the curse of the law is, is something which has been hanging over Israel right up until the coming of Christ. Now, remember the way we contextualize um, Galatians from the book of Deuteronomy in the last podcast. The curse that Paul is talking about would appear to be from the closing chapters of Deuteronomy and from Ezekiel 37 and other places. The curse is the curse of exile. Paul never mentions exile, of course, but he does effectively, like the Deuteronomist, appear to equate curse with death. Now, what's he saying here? I don't think he's attempting to say that every individual who breaks the who who um, does not abide by everything written in the book of the law is under a curse, but rather talking about Israel itself. What he's saying here is precisely what the author of Deuteronomy says in the closing chapters of Deuteronomy, that if you hold to what God teaches and what he prescribes, then you'll be blessed. But if you do not, then the curse of exile will come upon you. Well, of course, Israel by and large did not keep the law. That's why they were um, invaded and overrun by the Assyrians and why the southern kingdom of Judah later went into exile in Babylon. It was precisely because they didn't obey. The curses that the author of Deuteronomy was talking about had come true. Israel didn't listen. They disobeyed God, worshipped the gods of other nations, and ended up in exile. Hence the curse was upon them. So even though they had returned and been restored from Israel, It wasn't until the coming of Christ that the curse was truly broken. How does he add to this in verse 11? Well, he says that no one is justified um, by the law and that this this should be obvious. And it's obvious for this reason. And then he quotes from Habakkuk 2 verse 4, a passage which is also quoted in Romans 1.17 and again in Hebrews 10. The righteous man shall live by faith. Now, of course, what Habakkuk was saying was the one who's righteous um, will live, in other words, will not be killed by the Babylonians because they trust in God. Habakkuk's prophecy is all about asking the question, how could God punish Israel by employing the only nation in the world more sinful than Israel, i.e. the Babylonians? And God's command to him is that this is not going to be obvious now but you're going to have to trust God if you want to live. And the righteous one will live, that is, will not be destroyed because of their trust in God. Well, Paul picks up on this language because the the point that Habakkuk is making is precisely the point that Paul is making. The one who is in the right before God, the righteous man, will live because of faith. Life will come because people believe. Now, remember... If the curse is ultimately death, then life will come by faith. This, for me, is confirmed by the quotation in verse 12. Now, he doesn't introduce this uh, citation in verse 12 with any kind of of formula. He simply quotes Leviticus 18, verse 5, because he says, The law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. 
Now, again, in the context of Leviticus 18, the author is saying, and of course he's speaking to um, uh, the, the Israelites having been newly freed from captivity in Egypt, that those who live by the law, those who practice the law and obey the law, will be able to survive. They'll be able to live. However, the important thing here that Paul says is that the law is not of faith. Remember, the righteous man shall live by faith, but the law is not of faith. In other words, the law and faith are somehow in conflict for Paul. But then when he quotes Leviticus 18.5, that same term appears, will live. So the righteous man will live by faith. And he who practices these things, i.e. the law, will live by them. He's quite clearly contrasting two forms of life. There's a kind of life that comes by faith in God, and a kind of life that comes from obeying the law. And Paul seems clear that that there are two kinds of, of life, and one is the life of salvation. One is the life of survival, practicing the law and being able to live for these newly freed slaves um, from uh, Egypt. But to practice the law in the same way today, hoping to achieve the kind of life that comes from faith, simply won't happen. The righteous man will live by faith. So in what sense then does Christ redeem us from the curse? Well, the us here in verse 13 must be a reference to Israel. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Well, how did he do that? Well, he became the curse. It says he redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. And that's when Paul quotes from Deuteronomy 21 verse 23, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Now, Paul would almost certainly have had to deal with this passage if Paul believed that Jesus was the Messiah, and yet the law itself says that anyone who's hanged on a tree is cursed, knowing that that was Jesus's fate, how would you explain God's Messiah being under the very curse of God? Well, here is Paul's explanation. Christ was hung on a tree in order to redeem Israel from the curse of the law. Now, if the curse is exile, and yet it's summed up by death. This is what I think is critical. For Paul, the ultimate curse is death. Well, then how did Christ become the curse? Well, of course, by dying. He became the curse by his crucifixion. He became the curse by being hanged on the tree. And what did that do then? How did that redeem Israel from the curse? By bringing resurrection life, by overcoming death with life on the cross. This new life, this new resurrection energy now became available. And so those with faith will live in that sense. They'll live because they are energized by the very life energy of Christ, his risen life. Now remember um, when Paul described his own justification in Galatians 2.19 and verse 20 as well. He says precisely the same thing has happened to him. 
Uh, remember, he says that through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And that which I now live, I live in the flesh. Um, I live by faith in the Son of God. In other words, Paul, having been crucified with Christ, says that he no longer lives. And yet the life which he now lives, he lives by faith. And the conjoining phrase is the key, Christ lives in him. So Paul himself understands two forms of life. There was a life he lived in obedience to the law, but then he died to the law. So Paul is now dead, he says, but in what sense is he alive? Well, he's alive because Christ lives in him. The risen life of Christ energizes Paul in such a way that he now lives. And this is what it seems the quotations from the Old Testament are saying. They're saying that the curse of exile, which is ultimately death, has come upon Israel. And the only way that Israel can be liberated from this death is by the instantiation of life, by the expression of a powerful form of life. And that life is the risen life of Jesus Christ. And in many ways, it's the same motif that we see in Ezekiel 37, that death was upon Israel, this valley of dry bones. And then when um, the spirit rushes over them, life comes into them. Life overcomes death. So this is what Paul has quoted the Old Testament for. It's to show that death has been overcome by the risen life of Christ and that that life um, is blueprinted in the scriptures. Now in verse 14, this will all come to a head where um, uh, the, the blessing of Abraham uh, is is the thing which is being contrasted by the curse of the law. Now, that's interesting. The curse of the law is not contrasted with the blessing of the law, but the blessing of Abraham. We'll unpack that next time. But for now, what seems clear is that the purpose of Paul quoting the Old Testament is to show that life overcoming death has been predicted by the scriptures and is now taking shape in the justification of those who have faith in Jesus. The whole purpose of justification is so that people can enter into right relation with God. That's what being justified means. And it happens by the um, presence and power of new life um, coming into the life of someone who has faith. When we believe in Jesus, we're energized by a new kind of life, an unprecedented form of life. This, we are now alive because of this new life. And this new life causes us to see the world in a different way. And it's useful, I think, to explore just how different the world becomes when someone has faith in Christ. When the life of Christ overwhelms a person, it's almost like you, you've taken off a particular set of lenses through which you once understood the world and you now understand the world very differently. And goodness knows that in a world as confused and as confusing as this one, we ought to be, you know, we need a, a new pair of lenses by which we can interpret the world. Those new lenses are the risen life of Christ. 
the resurrection of Jesus and the risen life of Christ now becomes the touchstone for all believers for understanding the world. What is the life that we live? It is the life energized by the very life of Jesus himself. That is the profound change that every Christian has gone through. And now we have to understand what that profound change in us means for the profound changes which must now happen in the world as a result of that change.